Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Today we're going to be in Malachi chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open them up. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you today and you want a copy of God's Word in your hand, just lift your hand up and somebody on our team would love to put a Bible in your hand to use today. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, um, please do me a favor. Write your name in that one and take it home as our gift to you. And we want you to have a copy of God's Word if you need one, if you need one. Um, Malachi chapter 4. We're going to look at the entire chapter. It's just six verses. And I want to read um, verses 1 through 6. And then I want to pray for us. Malachi chapter 4 reads this. The Lord of heaven's army says... The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, and all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Um, If you're taking notes today or the note-taking type, um, the title of today's sermon is Bars. Yep, Bars. Let me pray for us. Father, um, God, I I need you in this moment. God, I've prepared, I've studied, I've read, um, but all that will fall short of what's needed in this moment if you don't show up. So God, would you be kind to dwell richly with your people right now? Would you make the words of your scripture come alive in our hearts, come alive in our hearing? Not that we leave this place smarter, God, but we leave more in love with you, more committed to be your kingdom agents in this world. God, use my mouth to speak your words, use my mind to think your thoughts and use us, your church, to do your will. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. How many people know what the word aphorism means or know what an aphorism is? All the English teachers, that was your moment. Nobody? You've all are familiar with it. The word may be new, but the, the principle is very familiar. An aphorism is just a witty, sometimes mostly short saying that contains a lot of truth. Um, one that we may have all heard, actions speak louder than words. You've heard that before? That would be an aphorism. Um, there's been several writers and scholars, Oscar Wilde and C.S. Lewis, who are famously um, known for writing just short sentences that contain a ton of truth. C.S. Lewis, talking about his conversion story, says, I believe in God in the same way that I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, 
but by it I see all things. Bars. It's pretty good. <laughs> Oscar Wilde says, uh, be yourself for everyone else is already taken. These short, compact sentences that contain a lot of truth. But if I'm honest with you, I didn't find out about C.S. Lewis and Oscar Wilde much later in life. When I thought about aphorisms or witty one-liners, I thought about 106 in Park and Freestyle Fridays. Take in the basement. Y'all remember that? Nobody. Come on now. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. The rest of y'all are just going to pretend y'all saved y'all whole life. That's fine. Me and you, brother. Me and you today. Me and you, because everybody else just pretended. So when I thought about one-liners, because think about if you're familiar with uh, spoken word poetry or battle rap or freestyling, like it's all about the punchline, right? It's all about the, the setup and the punchline, the aphorism, the, the witty, compact saying that carries with it a lot of punch. Okay, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to help him out today. I'm going to help him out, Josh. You help me? All right, y'all ready for it? No, no, I got some. Y'all, because y'all wasn't prepared, but I am. How many people have ever heard of a battle rapper by the name of Rum Nitty? My man, you know the rum nitty? My man. All right. Everybody got testimony. That's all right. Um, so this is the BC days. This is before Christ now, so don't judge it. Um, but rum nitty gave a, a freestyle during a battle rap that may be one of the hardest lines in battle rap ever given. It's going to go over your head unless you're paying attention. Y'all ready? I'm going to read it. Y'all going to pay attention. You locked in? All right. <laughs> Y'all going help me, right? I was up in the hotel loading rounds for cousin. Big rounds I'm stuffing. They say ill is in the lobby. I grab the nose running. I'm coming down with something. Bars. Mm. Y'all missed it. Y'all get on the way home. Y'all get on the way home. Listen to the podcast a couple times. Y'all missed the, the note. Grab the nose running. I'm coming down with I don't care what y'all say. That's fire. All right, let me, let's get a little easier. So I got saved, trying to change up my music choices. Um, how many people heard of Cross Movement? Right, one of the early raps. Appreciate y'all, the three of y'all that know what I'm talking about. Uh, all right, listen to the line. Talking about marriage and relationships. He says, let him keep his cheese, never let him eat for free. Let him meet your needs and never let him sleep and leave. God's plan is that you marry so the creep must cleave and learn about a woman's worth like Alicia Keys. Bars. All right, that was easy. Y'all got that one? Y'all got that one? All right, all right. Y'all need one more? Y'all got what I'm saying? All right, one more, one more, one more. I got a sermon to preach, y'all. Just one more. It's the last one. Bars, right? My man KB, it's a Christian rapper, song called Armies. Look it up later. This is a good one. It says, oh, vanity, Satan try to cancel me. I don't fear your plan for me. I just made a canopy. When you come to handle me, there's another hand on me, even when they all abandon me. Bars. Oh. Y'all, come on now. I'm sorry. To love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. Y'all want to hear some more Oscar Wilde with the battle rap too much? We can read. I got some more C.S. Lewis if y'all want to hear that. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he manages, until he has something to forgive. There you go. Amen. Y'all don't like the battle rap. Anyway, so whether you listen to C.S. Lewis, Oscar Wilde, Rum Nitty, KB, or anyone else, there's something about a punchline after the setup and the delivery that just hits you. 
right? I remember the C.S. Lewis line that I, that I spoke about earlier, the fact that he believes in God like he believes in the sun, not just because he sees it, but by it, he sees everything else. Y'all, he wrote that in a sentence with other words on the page. But when he said that line, it was just like, you got to stop, breathe, catch your breath, and we're like, bars, right? There's something about a setup and a punchline that stays with us, where the, the author or the artist makes it really clear overwhelmingly so what he's trying to say. And this may be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't believe it's so, but I believe Malachi chapter four is the punchline of the book. This whole time he's been setting us up for the one-liner he's going to drop in just these few verses. Now, how do I know that? So just looking at the language, Malachi is mostly a book of questions and answers. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? How do I love you? Where can a faithful man be found? Over and over in the book of Malachi, the prophet mostly uses questions to start a conversation, almost kind of a Socratic method, a a dialogue between God and his people. That stops in chapter 4. He's not asking a question. As a matter of fact, he's making it abundantly clear in case you missed it all along what this book is all about. You see, you might be tempted to read through the book of Malachi with a casual reading and come away with the sense of God wants you to be a better Christian. Talks about giving and and serving and right worship and giving God the first and best, not just what's left over. And you might be tempted to believe that God is writing to his people saying, be better. The fancy word for that is moral therapeutic deism. This idea that God wants you to just be a better person. God is there to make your marriage better, your life better, and everything about you better. That is not what the book of Malachi is about. And the prophet Malachi is going to make that abundantly clear because he's going to end with absolute clarity. Bars. You see, the book of Malachi is not about God's people being better. The book of Malachi is about who really is God's people. You see, these commands given to the nation of Israel weren't for them to take another step in faithfulness. These commands were given to separate those who were of the nation of Israel in flesh only and those who were really God's people. Look at it, what it says in verse 1. The Lord of heaven's armies, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. There we go. Thank you so much. Thank you. We've got to talk about something that doesn't oftentimes make airtime on a Sunday morning. We've got to talk about hell and judgment for just a moment. Because the prophet Malachi and the word of God itself wants to be really, really clear about what the options are in front of you. And so the the word of God says that the wicked and the arrogant will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. And I think this word wicked is really appropriate because the word wicked literally means twisted. It's taking something that's straight and bending it a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right. It's a little bit different than the word unrighteous or evil. He's not talking just to evil people. He's talking to wicked people, to people who've just bent and twisted it a little bit. You see, you can be wicked and religious. You can be wicked and show up to church every Sunday. 
You can be wicked and be a good person who waves to their neighbors and starts small talk conversations as you park your car in the garage. You can be all those things and still wicked because you have twisted your understanding of the gospel to not just be you submitting your life to God, but you sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on your plans. That's what wickedness means. And he compares wickedness with arrogance. Did you catch it in verse 1? Why would he compare those who are wicked and call them arrogant as well? I believe because there's something uniquely sinful about hearing God's call to follow him and looking at him and saying, nah, I got a better way. Hearing God's call that he loves you and has a plan for you and saying, nah, I got a better way. There's something uniquely arrogant about saying, I know that you created the heavens and the earth. I know when you spoke to nothing, nothing responded and all the creation was formed and you hold all things in existence by the power of your word. But I want to live my life my way. And family, I'm going to do something that may not feel like it, but it's the most loving thing I can do. And that's tell you the truth. If you live your life rejecting God. When you die, you will go to hell for all eternity. I don't want to mince words. I don't want to be unclear. You may have been taught that if you do more good than bad, it'll work out. You may have been taught that if you have a sincere faith in something, that's what God judges you on. No, let me be clear. If you live a life that rejects Jesus, I'm not saying that you don't say that you love Jesus. I'm saying you live a life that rejects Jesus, that when you die, you will go to hell for all eternity. Now, I know what you, some of you may be thinking, well, if God is so good, why would he send people to hell? There's a couple of different responses there, but let me give you one. God is not sending you anywhere. When people go to hell, God is just respecting the choice they made in this life. You told God you don't want him. And when you die and meet him, he just repeats that request right back to you. So you said, God, I want to live my way and I don't want you active in my life. And so you get exactly what you asked for, for all eternity. The problem is we don't quite have a category for just how bad hell really is. And I don't know if it's fire or not. That might be hyperbole. That might be metaphorical language. But here's what I do know. God's presence isn't there. Now, the word of God says that everything good comes from God above. So hell is a place where nothing good exists. Hell is a place where there is no hope, there is no joy, there is no love, there is no peace, there is no forgiveness, there is no God, there is no goodness at all. And we don't have a category for that because even as an unbeliever in this world, we get to experience what's called common grace. This idea that God's goodness kind of drips on our lives, even incidentally, God allows us to have his air in our lungs. God God allows us to have laughter and friends and family. God allows us to have good things, even though we reject him. Hell is the place where that common grace is taken back. And you get you for all eternity. Just you. No goodness, no peace, no love, no hope. And that's the reality. For those who reject Jesus Christ, that is the fate that you will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But, verse 2, 
But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. Here's the reality. Just as those who reject Christ don't really and honestly and seriously consider the consequences of their choice, I think for many of us as believers and Christians, we don't contemplate enough the consequences of our choice to follow him. The reality is that many of us don't think of heaven as often as we should. I know I don't. But the prophet Malachi is trying to give us this picture that the sun of righteousness, the S-U-N, this this dawn, this daybreak, this day spring, as Luke calls it in Luke chapter 1, that Jesus is this day spring of light bursting forth in darkness. Can I just give you a picture of what heaven's going to be like for just a second? That's Okay. I'm doing it anyway. I appreciate you, though. Romans chapter 8. Save your place in Malachi. Romans chapter 8. Flip over there really quickly. I'm just going to read one verse to help us begin to begin to even wrap our minds around the goodness and glory of what's to come. Romans chapter 8. I want you to see it if you can. Romans chapter 8. If you're flipping through the New Testament, you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans is right there. Chapter 8, verse 18, says it like this. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Now, I could keep reading in Romans chapter 8 will blow your mind, but I just want to look at one verse. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Does this verse seem true to you? I know this room is full of good Christians, and we're told that the Bible is always true about everything, so we're trained to say yes. But I want you to seriously consider this thing for a moment. What we suffer now is nothing. Cancer that's robbed us of life and years of loved ones is nothing. Children burying parents and parents burying children is nothing. Abuse and uncertainty and the effects thereof that we're still battling with today is nothing. Does that sound true to you? Sometimes it's okay to wrestle with the Bible, y'all. Don't just read stuff and nod your head. Wrestle this thing down to the ground. Because when I first read that, that didn't seem true to me. Because I done been through some stuff that didn't feel like nothing. I done gave up some stuff that didn't feel like nothing. I done cried some tears and gave some prayers of desperation, and I don't feel like nothing. So what is this verse possibly saying? And there's only one of two options right here. There's only one of two options looking at a verse like this. Either A, we know something about our suffering that God is not taking into consideration. Either we have a perspective on our suffering that God is missing. And this is not true. Or God knows something about glory that we don't. Those are the only two options, if this is to be true. That God knows something about glory that we don't. It is inconceivable what we have inherited. Imagine scales in your mind right now. And on one side, I want you to put every tear 
Every moment of uncertainty, every moment of pain, every moment of abuse, every moment of trauma, everything that you have ever been through on one side of those scales and feel the weight of it. Do you feel it? And what God is saying, that when glory is revealed, glory will outweigh all of it. God, y'all got to catch this. Glory, when we see God, we're not going to be disappointed. We're not going to get to heaven and be like, oh, I don't know if it was worth it. We're not going to see him face to face and feel like we got the short end of the deal, y'all. And we can't even imagine that because we feel the weight of our suffering now. And what I'm not trying to do is try to make light of this. I'm not saying just throw a, a Christian cliche on the reality of our suffering. This is where we are. We need to deal with it. Amen. Don't diminish our suffering. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that when we see glory, we will find out what he was saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Can you imagine for just a moment that you agree with this verse? Can you imagine when you see God, you out of your own mouth will say, oh, that was nothing. Oh, that was nothing. I'd do it again. I'd go through it all again. Every night, every tear, every pain, every, I do it all again because it was worth it. That's what the prophet Malachi is saying in chapter four, that the day spring is coming, that the sun of righteousness is rising with healing in his wings. That word healing is related to the word shalom, which means nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. He's not just saying a freedom from disease. He's saying a freedom from anything that is missing in our lives, that when we see him, Oh, my God, when we see him, family, we'll nod our heads in agreement and say, you're right, God. You're right. All of that was nothing compared to what I see in front of me right now. You see, the reality, going back to Malachi 4, the reality is the prophet Malachi is ending right where he started. He's ending this this section of scripture. He's closing the Old Testament canon. He's ending this right where he started. Do you remember where we started in Malachi chapter 1? Flip back to it really quickly. Before we talked about unworthy sacrifices, before he gave a warning to the priests and to the people, before he called his people to be faithful, before he talked about giving and all these other things, do you remember where the prophet of God started in the beginning? Chapter 1, verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you reply, really? How have you loved us? You see, that's the foundation for this entire book. And that's the foundation for our understanding of who God is, is we struggle to believe God loves us like he does. We struggle to believe that God really loves us as much as he does. That's why glory seems out of our reach of understanding Because what could be that good to outweigh all the bad in our lives? What could be that good that we would willingly forego all the pleasures of this world and lay our lives down as living sacrifices to follow him? What could be that good? The prophet is saying God is that good. God really is that good. So here's the punchline. Malachi chapter four, to reject Jesus, and I'm closing here, to reject Jesus, 
there's a consequence to that rejection that boggles the mind. We couldn't even begin to understand the darkness and despair of hell eternal. We can't begin to understand if God's presence was completely removed from our existence for all eternity, but that is what hell is, and that is what you are actively choosing if you reject Jesus. But equally true, and maybe even more so true, is the reward of choosing Jesus. Oh, the reward of saying yes to him in this life. I know it's hard. I know you might be the only Christian at your job. You might be the only Christian in your family. You might be the only Christian in your classroom. And it feels hard. And it feels weighty. And it feels like, God, is it going to be worth it in the end? The prophet Malachi is saying, yes. Hold on. Not out of discipline because that will fail you. Not out of duty because that will fail you. But hold on because God's love has kept you this long. Do you remember a time in your life, it might have just been a moment, where the windows of heaven opened up for just a moment? It might have been a song you were singing. It might have been a prayer that you were offering. It could have been a moment on a Sunday or a moment when you're all by yourself at home. But do you remember a time where glory seemed to shine through and you got a glimpse of what's to come? Do you remember a time? And the reality is, in that moment of worship, in that moment of prayer, when we got this glimpse of glory, it all made sense, didn't it? It all made sense. God, we knew God was good. We knew these things would pass. We knew these afflictions were light and momentary. We saw clearly. But that that glimpse didn't last for long, did it? Life came crashing back on in and the prayers had to end and the kids needed something and the job needed something and the class needed something. We were back to life. But can you imagine that one glimpse of glory that you've gotten in pieces and in parts, that glimpse lasting forever? Can you imagine that feeling of proximity to your Savior and Redeemer, the author and finisher of your faith, the bright and morning star? Can you imagine that feeling forever? And never growing tired of it. That is what's being offered today. It may come with a cross. It may come with some persecution. It may come with some suffering. It may come with some sacrifice. But nobody who trusts in Jesus will look him in the eye and question whether it was worth it when they see him. That's what the prophet is reminding us of today. God is coming, y'all, and when he comes, it'll be better than we can imagine. Or if we've rejected him, it'll be worse than we can imagine. The loving and truthful thing is today God has given you a choice. God isn't just saying, if you reject me, you face eternity and punishment. There's nothing you can do about it. No, God has you here right now hearing this message, this truth so that you can get to know him before it's too late. Even right now, as you reject him, he is still pursuing you, giving you yet another chance to say, okay, Lord, I surrender. Okay, Lord, my life is yours. And for the believer, man, I pray that we will begin to dream of heaven more often. 
I pray that God's love for us both now and to come would be the motivation of our lives, not just fear of punishment, not just discipline and duty, but God's love would compel us to sacrifice everything that he calls us to because truly glory will outweigh it all. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.